Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are talking about the basis of so much of what goes on in these universes, canon. And on it we have the two granddaddies of the MCU cast, Jeff Randall and Matthew Carroll. And we're going to talk about the good side of canon, the bad, how it can really help to make the experience as a fan so much better, and when the focus on canon can become a little bit toxic or problematic. All that and more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. Uh, Matt and Jeff, so glad to have you with us. From what I can tell, this is a pretty quiet week in the MCU world, so I'm guessing you should have tons of time, and glad you could uh, come spend a bit of it with us. Oh, yeah, man. Just lazing around. <laughs> yeah, I'm just really glad we agreed to do this podcast before we knew we were doing, like, six podcasts this week in the MCU realm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, you know, and live streaming uh, all of them. It's just, you know, it seemed like a light week at first. We are going to do this good evergreen content. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it is uh, nice for me to be doing something not Star Wars for just a minute because um, both MCU and Star Wars have just had a huge amount of new content announced. Um, but and I think it's both relevant to both of those because honestly, part of what got me thinking about this topic was the fact that in both of those universes, as well as some of the others that I hear you all talk about sometimes, but especially here, we are now getting so many shows and so many movies that start to kind of really even in more detail, fill out the world, fill out the universe. And so many of the questions that I'm already hearing coming up are about how is it all going to fit together in the canon? Like, what's this new thing going to do? How is it going to affect that other thing? You know, across the board with all of these. So it's a bit of a crazy time to be sure, but it felt like a really important time to talk about this topic. And so I'm just really glad to have you on because I know it's something that's so important to both of you. Yeah, well, thanks, man. Thanks for having us on. Always a pleasure to be over at Super Ethics. It's been a while. Actually, it's been a while since I've had a, any podcast with you, Matthew. And I, yeah. I was thinking about it the other day when you inv- invited us here. I was like, oh, goodness, I'm glad. I'm glad. I've really been meaning to get on another one with you. Um, yeah, I I have strong, strong feelings about canon. Yeah. Oh, we know. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and from an ethical perspective, like, to me, ethics is about uh, – I'm a bit of a utilitarian when it comes to ethics. Ethics is about uh, you do a thing. It has an effect on people. It has an effect. Therefore, that's why you don't do or do do the thing like that. To me, that's ethics. Um, It's it's, you know, (laughs) you do do things. (laughs) You do do things. You don't do things. Thank you for uh, thank you for making a child undercutting gentlemen talking about mature ethical philosophical topics. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Uh, that, that, that's the, that's the source of, of your why, right? For me anyway, that's, that's what I believe. And to me, canon is about things having repercussions. Yeah. And so like, if you don't, if you, I mean, there are obvious extremes on either side. If you care so much about a little minute detail that it throws the whole point out for you, like maybe lighten up, but if you are throwing out past context that is important to the story like why are you even why are you even trying to tell that story in this universe that's it's actually a tenant on our strandedpanda.com like what is a stranded panda and like one of the things is like we care about canon we care about having a story that makes sense internally and i think that's such a good point and you're right it's very ethical because a lot of times when i look at superhero stories or science fiction or whatever a lot of my question is about those repercussions. Like, okay, we just saw our hero slaughter 50 people and smash all these buildings in this epic fight with the supervillain. But what about the families of all those people? What about rebuilding the city? What about 
the economic damage, you know? And I think a lot of the shows that especially want like, you know, the boys is all about the, the repercussions and the effects on the world of these superheroes existing. And agents of shield or Spider-Man are all about like, what are those effects of things, you know, um, in star Wars, we're really getting to dive into some of that. So I think it's a fantastic point. Yeah. I think with, um, with Mandalorian, we're especially getting a, yeah. a hard look, especially in the recent weeks of the show. You know, we're seeing um, a lot of a lot of people that, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Empire or New Republic. It doesn't matter to them. Like they're still getting chat on basically yeah. by somebody in in charge. And, you know, it's it's the it's that kind of story that is so far from the Luke Skywalkers and the Han Solos and the general organas of the, the, the star Wars verse. But those are the stories that I'm craving at this point, because like for decades, we've seen those big stories and the bombastic tales. And, you know, this guy, this legendary dude made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs, whatever. But like now we're, we're finally seeing what the rest of that universe looks like. And you know, my opinion on canon is, it depends. Uh, Matt takes a very utilitarian stance. Um, I I think that it varies based on the item in question. Mm. Uh, if, you're, if your overall story doesn't even involve remotely the, the big story that's already been told, cool, do whatever you want. I'm yeah. fine with it. Um, but if you're if your overall story is based on, cause like this is the, this is the, the gatekeepy canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's based on an established story or inspired by it, I think you still need to honor the heart of that story or the, or the crux, what that story is about. Um, right. and maybe what, maybe more importantly, rather what, what the character is about in that moment and what's important to the character. Um, and, you know, with things like the Mandalorian in Star Wars canon, it really isn't that impactful that we've seen. It could become more impactful, but um, you know, it it just it kind of it kind of depends because there are there are things where like the prequel movies where Lucas screwed up his own canon and was like, none of this should be happening like this based on what Kenobi said. But yeah, I guess we'll have to finger wave our our way through that. Uh, but you know, according to Lucas, we just we don't understand the Star Wars yeah, franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there's a whole other element there. Um, yep. Well, and let's actually back up for a second, and let me just simply ask you this: um, What is canon? Like, what, that it's a very, very broad word. Um, so, what do you think we mean when we say canon? I mean, in the simplest terms, canon is the established story, uh, and. I think that that holds true for the established character story, like what the character has gone through, how they became who they are, be it a hero, a villain, whatever. Uh, but also, like, I, I feel like canon is less and less lit nowadays about events that happened in this sequential order, mm-hmm. but more about arcs of character. What do you think, Matt? Hmm. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's it. Just established story. I think that's exactly what canon is, and I mean people use it to. Yeah, that that's a great. You did you did great. I've I've nothing to, nothing to add really. Man, what <laughs> happened? I blacked out. 
<laughs> Matt just flat agreed with me, everybody. Let's get that on record. Don't I'm worry, glad I'll we're try recording. to find some ways to divide you up. Um, okay, okay. When I was thinking about this question, I, I mean, canon can be 8 million things, but I kind of divide it into these three categories. I'm wondering if you would agree with these or add any more or change them. But to me, canon can be, there's character canon. And that's kind of like the stuff you were talking about. It's, okay, if we, and this is especially true with prequels, but it can be true with going the other direction as well. But if we know that by age 40, this character is at this place in their lives. We need to see that, like, the stuff that we see in the in their earlier stories fits with, like you just said, that, that arc that they would be on. Like, it makes sense to help explain how they get to where they are. And that stuff later feels like it, it, it is a, a same arc. You know, it doesn't feel like a total departure. Or if it is, it explains how they got from one place to another. Yeah. The there, second I mean, one, there needs to be a, a natural, organic flow to it. Sure. Rather than just like, who the hell is this solo guy? The second one is is what I when I think of the story canon. And this is kind of the, like, you know, do the details of the story continue to line up? You know, if if at one point in the story we said this person has never met someone else... Do we see the two of them meeting in a prequel, you know, or do we see like <laughs> someone saying like, well, this has never happened before. And we see it happening in a prequel, like those kind of that, that kind of a canon of like, what's the, how does the story all fit together? You know, the, um, the story of Cap and Bucky, you know, if you did a prequel about Bucky that showed that like they hated each other, that, that wouldn't fit their story, you know, it, yeah. it, it, that kind of story lineup. Well, and now you touch on something that another another way that canon touches ethics to me mm-hmm. that it really lights a fire under me to think about is that to me, if you are basing a story on a previous story, whether it's a prequel or whatever, uh, or, or or a sequel or a concurrent story like they did with right. Saw 4. Um, <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, Talk about deep cut. <laughs> quite literally. <laughs> Um, you have a company that is deciding to make this exist in a world. Why do they do that? Because they know they're going to bring in fans. Right. And then to do, to break canon, once you have done that, you are choosing to disrespect the thing that brought those people in. Yeah. And in many cases, you are using the fan base and using their love for this thing to bring the fans in and then not respecting what brought them there. And to me, that is unethical from the studio's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially when it's like, if it changes director hands, you know, part of the way through, it's like, Oh, cool. I like what you did there, except it sucks. I'm going to do it my way. And then you'll see, it'll be really good. Yeah. Do you notice the, the Peter I, I, Quill reference there? Yeah. <laughs> like, I think there, like, a great example of that is the most recent Star Wars movies, where all three of them, like, different directors, and the story just doesn't, there is no consistent canon of those three stories, you know? Is Rey from this kind of background or not? Is, who's the big bad? Those things don't li- line up. And I think, Matt, what you're getting into is, is what I was going to call the third category of canon, which is world canon. Um, and this is more about, like, the details of the world. Like, okay... At this point, we establish that a nuclear war happened in in this year. Okay, well then, another story that's set in a certain time has to reflect that in some way. It has to take that into account. Um, and I feel like the you all talk about what I think of as like a good and a bad example of this. To me, a good example of world canon is the snap, and how you know there was this major major event that happened in in um, Thanos removing 
half the population of, in the MCU. And we have in things like Spider-Man, uh, um, Far From Home, you know, examples of like, okay, here's how the world is dealing with that. The the canon of the world fits those events. Yeah, um, the world was affected by this, like, because it couldn't have not been. Right, right? Mm-hmm. exactly. And so, what I was gonna, like, oh, go ahead. Yeah, it's, okay. So, like, having having Spider-Man Far From Home show that, like, everybody is still dealing with these things. Like, not only is it that people disappeared for a little bit, but, like, one of my favorite parts of Far From Home is that Aunt May herself has a story about when she reappeared in someone else's home, right? It was her home, but it was somebody else's home. And... The guy or the, the the wife of the guy thought that he, that she was his mistress, and like <laughs> that's a really funny story, and that's something that like if I were writing it, you know, being the luddite that I am, I never would have thought of that kind of thing to add. But that adds so much flavor to the to the world in that like of course somebody's gonna have a goofy story of how they popped back in and be like, oh my goodness, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> And I just I love that about about that that one particular thing in that they did that world building so damn well, mm-hmm, for sure. Absolutely. What and Matt, especially, I'm curious uh, your thoughts on this. To me, the example of bad world building, the, of bad world canon, is not all, but some of the newer. I, I've heard you and especially Dave talk about this. Some of the newer Star Trek canon uh, content, you know, in terms of like early on in season one of Discovery. I think now they've kind of evened it out somewhat but there were a lot of feeling like that that what was happening in the world with the klingons just didn't fit the canon we had or that yeah. you know especially with the the movies that came out that it just didn't fit the it's established in a universe but it, like it didn't fit in the same way um for like sure one, one thing i've been noticing is going back and watching the original series um you know when we think about the joke about what is star trek it's um gay space uh Uh, luxury communism you know because all the stuff picard says about how there's no money in this universe etc um in original series they absolutely have money and they're constantly talking about who's gonna get paid what and stuff like that um yeah there's some examples of that they 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 the there's a book called the economics of star trek actually uh which is (laughs) which is interesting because they it really takes a lot to try to parse it because then the truth be told in the original series, they just didn't know what they were going for yet. Like the right. economic system had not been written. And it seems that like in the Federation, they don't have money, but when they deal with other cultures, they have money and right. they, they, they apparently they're given some sort of stipend so that like they're able to, uh, you know, right. deal with other cultures uh, similar to like DS nine. They're on a Bajoran space station. So there's a lot more money changing hands on that show. For sure. Yeah. And, and I think that's, there's another canon issue that we're going to talk about, about where a later thing in the series establishes an idea and then try to back, tries to kind of backdate it like you're talking about. Because um, you're right, the same way, like, when Lucas wrote the first Star Wars movie, he certainly wasn't thinking about the larger canon that's being explored now and, and, and things like that in the same way um, with Star Trek. But I'm curious, like, if you would agree that, and sure, there are many others, Star Wars, I think certainly, all the comic ones certainly, but that in the ways I just talked about... Um, maybe not even with the money stuff, but like with the Klingons and other parts of Earth's history, mm-hmm. that especially more recently, there have been problems with Star Trek breaking that that kind of world continuity we're talking about. Not necessarily a, a character or a story, but just the general sense of like what's been happening with the Federation, what's been happening with the Klingons, what's been happening with this universe for the last 400 years. 
some stuff has not lined up as well as it might have. Yeah, the the thing with Discovery, the vast majority of the canon breaks in Discovery are visual. Mm, um, yeah. There's very little actual canon breaks in the story, or even with the literally with the world building, um, and 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 some of the ones that were presumed in season one of Discovery that people got really mad about. You can find essays online where people are like, no, this is not out of canon. This is in canon because of this episode with the, you know, there's a lot of things like, for, for instance, they have, uh, like, like their, their interfaces they use for, uh, for technology are, are way different. Like they have holographic interfaces instead of, you know, uh, old view screens that look like Pong. And, um, you know, (laughs) that, that could definitely be called a canon break. I am much more forgiving uh, yeah. for the, for all the reasons I said up top, uh, you know, about it, it. It really is about ethics and like what happens in the story. Like if a character does something and then that character's doesn't have repercussions for that and it doesn't change, you know, it doesn't change what goes forward. That bothers me. Um, if they change a ship design, doesn't really bother me, even drastically. It just doesn't really bother me. I don't know. That's my own personal canon thing. Like it just doesn't bother me. My my co-host on the Star Trek Universe podcast cares very much if they change the angle of a strut on the Enterprise. He gets very <laughs> upset uh, because he and I get it. And that to me is like that's his fandom. He grew up drawing that ship like he spent yeah. hours and hours examining that ship. And I can't say that his is not valid because it's that same thing that that goes to that ethics of of the companies like are sort of like these people love this thing. We're going to use that thing, but change it however we feel like. And that he, they're kind of using his fandom to get his money when they're not respecting what he loves about Star Trek. And, you know, it just depends on how much they want to they want to blaze a new trail and how much creative control. And it, I guess this goes to the other side of this. Like, we've been very pro canon here. Um, the other side of this argument is how ethical if we're going to stick. This is superhero ethics, after all. How ethical <laughs> is it to. Uh, and we have this problem in Marvel, Star Trek, Marvel, um, to chain creators to a canon when they want to tell a certain story. Right. And as a fan, I would say, just go tell your own story. But that's not really the world we live in. If you want to tell a hundred million dollar space opera, wh- th- that has never be been done. What, yeah, you, you, there's not. that's not happening independently anymore. You've got to be part no. of Star Wars or MCU or DC or something like that. Exactly. So, so you, if you want to work on this level with these budgets and with this stuff, this kind of technology, like you kind of have to fit into this world and that does hamstring some of the stories you're going to tell, but it's a, it's sort of a devil's bargain. And, uh, I don't know, there's definitely something there to say, like, I want creators to be able to tell the story they want to tell, but I also don't want them to use my fandom to rope me into watching a story that isn't isn't tight actually tied into the thing that I grew up with or the thing that I love. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know. There's, there's definitely two sides to it. You know, it's unfortunate looking back at, uh, at Marvel studio or Marvel television studios. Um, you know, cause like Perlmutter was such a person, uh, <laughs> when, uh, when he was in control of things, whenever everything shifted and, uh, Kevin Feige didn't have to report to him anymore. Um, it, it seems like all of the TV stuff was no longer related to the movies. And it kind of feels like Ike Perlmutter was doing exactly that using our love for this fandom, uh, to bring us into the TV shows just to, just to get a buck. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and it goes, (laughs) 
we, we, we're podcasters. We talk about this stuff every week and we are using our platform to talk about a show called Runaways. And, mm-hmm. and the reason we're doing that is because we love that show. So we, we say, hey, come listen to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're all going to invest our time and discussion on this show called Runaways because it's connected to the larger MCU. And that's what we do here. And then all of our friends and listeners are like, is this connected? Because they didn't care at all. They didn't even try to make it connected. And it's like, that's that is. Yeah, it's using our fandom to get us there, get us in the door. It's, it's a bait and switch and it's kind of false advertising. And I think this all raises also another very significant question, which is, like, in some ways, I think the easiest place to do canon is in books, because all you really need is one author to create stuff. And as long as any other authors are reading the same things, they can all create stuff. But once you start getting involved actors and directors and budgets and things like this, um, it you know, for me, a great example is is the MCU to some extent. Uh, or DC Universe or any of them, because on some level after Avengers, it sort of feels to me like you have to come up with some contrived reasons to explain why every superhero movie going forward isn't an Avengers movie. Because, you know, once Captain America knows he has these things, you know, he has these friends, why doesn't he call Tony Stark or Thor, or anyone else, to help him deal with the fact that Hydra is taking over S.H.I.E.L.D., or, you know, whatever it is. And the stories always give us these, you know, good reasons why they can't, and sometimes they feel contrived, and sometimes they feel they don't. But really it's because, like, Captain America needs his own movie, and and (laughs) Iron Man needs his own movie, and you can't have all them in the same movie, because nothing ever gets, you never get any real character development, and you're paying (laughs) so much money to all these actors, that now popcorn's gonna be 30 bucks a a bundle. Uh, 30 sex, yeah. 30 bucks a, a tub. Uh, so I, I get the reality of it. But I think that that's a – Matt, you've raised a, a really good kind of can of worms there is what happens when you have to break canon to some extent because of the just economic and, and practical realities of trying to make these movies and TV shows. <laughs> sure. sure. It's, it's really funny that like this isn't an Avengers level threat is kind of a really unethical way of saying like we need to – separate these characters so that we can make you know loads of money on different movies because like (laughs) in in universe like why would you not put the avengers on every big threat that comes up yeah you know like wouldn't it be better ethically speaking if you put the biggest gun in there immediately to just shut down the threat and nobody gets hurt sure the the well so like as you know as someone like we're running a we're running a podcast empire here, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. And I like that. All, I have, so I have a fiefdom within your empire, and that. Could be- well, hey, we're all, we're all, we're all, we're all, we're all running this empire here, and trying to <laughs> trying to make as many cool podcasts and fun things to listen to as we can. And like sometimes, you know, I, I've got to be editing while you got to be doing something else. We can't be on it. All, we can't all three be on every podcast, you know. Yeah. And that's why so many more people get involved. We all have kind of people we work with. Otherwise, like. Uh, and, and it all kind of does that. So I get that, like, it not being an Avengers level threat. Sure. Now, now that, 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 that changes are a little you, bit. Are when... you comparing us to the Avengers? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it's what not, I'm doing. It's not an MCU cast hosts level threat. <laughs> yeah. it's, not a, it's not a big enough show that we have to get involved. No, no, I'm not. Not us. Not the two of us. I'm saying all of us. Like, the all of the pandas are the Avengers, right? <laughs> I like the backpedal. You're doing a great job. Keep I going. didn't. I didn't. 
didn't. I was thinking to talk about all of us from the beginning. There's no backpedaling here. Uh, uh, audience, remember when I promised I wouldn't have them agreeing with each other all the time? <laughs> he promised to drive a wedge, and I, and I you know, I, I, I worked right into Zemo's hands here. You, know, you really did. I, I, think it's a number of good, I think it's a number of good points, though, that you're making. And like, I like, I do understand the analogy that you're making. And I think, I think it's fitting, you know, and that, and, it, and it's funny because I had never really put this together until I started thinking about this until the last week or two. Were the well, Avengers? Well, no, not even that part. But um, oh. mean, clearly, I've been Tony for a while. But that's you know <laughs> neither here nor there. <laughs> um, but no, my point is. For a long time, I did not like animated stuff. I didn't really get into it. I didn't think it would be as impactful or as meaningful. And I've come to realize, especially when I watch um, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, but even more so the Justice League uh, cartoons. And, I, and from what I understand, the, the, the Marvel cartoon, although I haven't seen that one as much, it's actually a lot easier to do the deep canon in those because, you know, for Justice League, you could always had all the heroes. You could always include them in any story. Yeah, Clone sure. Wars, you could include any of the Jedi or some of the Jedi or one of the Jedi or none of the Jedi. And there was never a thought of like, oh, but well, the, the voice actor playing Anakin and Obi-Wan, they're our big stars. We have to have them in every episode, you know? Um, so, yeah, I just think that's an interesting um, – I think in a lot of ways I, I prefer live action in almost every way. But it is interesting how the animated stuff, just because it's so much easier to get all the voice actors in the same room or, you know, in, in the same show at least – it makes some of that deep canon of the big team up a lot easier. For yeah, sure. And it makes to... it, it also makes it a lot less forgivable when something can't get crossed over or like when they don't make those things work. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why yeah. did you tie this in? It could, it's it could so easily, easy. so easily you... happen. Yeah. You literally so don't even need do the voice actor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just put them on the screen, draw, draw a few squiggles and they're there. Howard the Duck is such an easy model to draw. Put him in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so moving aside from the, the practical sides of it, what are there um what are the benefits you see to having a strong canon? Like what why does it mean so much to us? Uh I think the ethical point is definitely one that I very much agree with. Um what what else do we get out of um having these strong canons that hold together and that are consistent? Oh man, you get you get the stranded panda network. Like we yeah. got together because the canon of Marvel was so tight and so well developed and and so perfect in you know in its especially in its infancy. Um, right after Guardians of the Galaxy came out, <clears throat> yeah. where it was like now there's a new facet to this canon, and Matt was like, "I love it so much," and like called me up. Like you get rabid fans, like like we are. Yeah. If you have that that tight continuity, yeah. where you've told this established story and you follow your own rules, absolutely, and and, I, and that that's exactly it. Getting just like completely, uh, you know, lost in this stuff, and this has nothing to do with ethics. It's everything about just how my brain works. But mm-hmm. something I realized when I was <laughs> I was going through therapy a couple of years ago, and like just trying to learn who I was, you know, doing some of that some of that excavation work to figure out who I was. And I realized so many of my issues, like so many of the things that I have problems with in this world are when things don't follow their own rules or things aren't internally consistent. And I just realized that's a part of my brain. It's just part of who I am. And it's like a big part of who I am, not just in this, but also in like all kinds of other ways in my life and and my belief systems. And so like I'm always building sort of belief systems around things to make them internally consistent. And it's just the way I work. 
And so, like, I don't know. It's not a good or a bad. It's just the way I work. And so they get they get my money, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like they they just get they draw in people like me who are, I guess, all broken in the same way that we need this. <laughs> we need this kind of content to work. You know, we need it to yeah. be logically consistent. Um, I, I don't know. There, there definitely was a time in storytelling where stories did not have to be logically consistent. You could tell. One story one way in the next Jason movie, he doesn't have to have the same origin story or whatever. Like they could jump around. Uh, but at some point, uh, you know, with all the knowledge out there, we just started had this have this expectation. And I do think something like Star Trek is an early example of it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's that's probably not even true. I mean, Lord of the Rings, you know, I'm sure there's some canon breaks somewhere in there. But but he was real careful with that stuff, you know. So. I mean, I don't know. You want to talk about a freaking world builder, mm-hmm. like Tolkien and his continuity, like oh, the yeah. the whole of Middle Earth, like you you don't even know. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> I don't even know. That's true. I think that also brings up a very good point, which is, I think one of the ways in which canon has become such a big issue is that we now have these multiple universes, which have had over the course of time multiple creators. You know, right? I mean, it's hard to say well, that something that Tolkien wrote doesn't fit the canon because he wrote it. He wrote all of it. And it's, so it's all his canon. Um, you know, and, and we can say that maybe like he lost the thread somewhat. Certainly Lucas did with, with star Wars, but it feels like a lot of where this canon stuff comes in. And we've had this from comic books long before any of the stuff we're talking about now, but is where you're now on the fifth or sixth or seventh writer and another new director. And that question comes up about how well are they honing to, the spirit of all this and to the, the details and to the characters. Um, right. Matt, it's funny. I, and we're going to talk about problems with Canon. And I think this, the need for consistency is both a positive and a negative to be sure. But I mean, just this week I have been really wrestling with this because um, one of the things that we heard in the new star Wars stuff coming out is that we're going to get a Kenobi show. I'm super excited about it. And that part of it is going to feature, um, you know, Hayden Christensen back playing Darth Vader and that they're going to have some kind of confrontation. Um, Kathleen Kennedy referred to it as like, you know, the the, the rematch of the century that we've all been waiting for. Um, I, I'll put my hand up as someone who has not been waiting for that. And, like, who's waiting for it? <laughs> well, and, and it, it, here's the thing. And it's, and it's when you realize it, it's dumb because maybe it comes from one or two sentences. But in A New Hope, the, the first of the Star Wars movies ever made, when Obi-Wan and Darth Vader confront each other, we get told like this is their first meeting after so long. And, and certainly the strong implication seems to be since their last fight that when Anakin became Darth Vader and for me and you know, and some, some other people on our network have suggested ways you can kind of look at a particular line from a particular point of view, which is a very star Wars thing to do and, and find a way to justify that they meet again. But in my head, it just doesn't work. You know, I'm just like, no, and it's not to me. This is where it's it's not the um, you know the lightsaber handle looks different. It's it is essential for that scene to work that they haven't met before, and, and I feel like that's a, a for me. I think that's the consistency part. It's the if a if a something happens in a prequel that takes away from the emotional weight of something that comes later that we've already seen. That's probably where it bothers me most because I think that's where it's like. You're taking away from the ethical decisions. You're taking away from the um, the weight of it. You're, you're making that later scene 
you're telling me that my understanding of that later scene is now different than what I thought it was. And that's where yeah. it really – that's where I really start to have a problem with it. Well, and I think – have you ever heard the screenwriting term save the cat? Yeah. Uh, it's where you you start a movie by having the character do something good. They just do something good to show that they are a good person so you know they're your protagonist. They're the person to root for. Right. So there, I think in a way – There's also a I heard called Kick the Cat, which is that someone earlier does something bad just oh, to show yes. you clearly they're going to be your villain. Right. That that makes a lot of sense. I've I'd never heard that, but uh, that's cool. So what I, th- what I think that's showing us is this sort of ethical assessments that we're making about a character are not – particular to this sort of geeky style of filmmaking or, you know, large canons or large story. We all have this sense of like, we're watching a story, a thing happens. It informs the rest of the way we look at that character, the rest of the way we like view the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes in toxic ways in itself, like sometimes you can have a character save the cat early on. So you're on their side, but then the rest of the movie, they're shitty and you yeah. just kind of stay on their side. And that's not good. Um, we should be able to Walter assess White? these things. Walter White, exactly. And I, I don't even know that I'd say he saves the cat. Like, he doesn't even really save the cat to begin with. He has a family. Like, uh, I don't know. Spoiler alert for Breaking Bad. He has a family <laughs> that he loves, I guess. Like, he has, he has, a, he has a, a, a kid with the disability um, he has, he, he, and he's a teacher. Like it all kind of gives you, he has more of like this sort of downtrodden situation. And then right. like when he gets cancer, you're on his side purely because, um, you're sympathetic to him. Yeah. You're sympathetic. I would never even say he give he's given a strong save the cat moment. There's a few throughout where he like cares about Jesse clearly. Like he feels yeah. bad about hurting Jesse. So Jesse is his cat that he's constantly trying to save, but like not enough. And and yeah, like I think he is pretty clearly an anti-hero or you know for sure. Don Draper style. Yeah, people always ask me like or people always ask that question, when were you out? When did you think that uh Walter White crossed the line? Like when he did this, when he blew up the drug dealer, when he killed the girl, when he did the thing. Like whenever he whatever he did throughout the show, when did you fall out of Breaking Bad and or, or, or stop rooting for him? And my answer is like when he didn't accept the money from his friends exactly. because of pure pride, like in the first episode, like I was That's like, for me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had an out. Like you can't feel bad for, I mean, you can feel bad for him, but like you shouldn't, he's not morally pure. He like, he chose to just not get help. And that is, that is pride. That is, that is just pride getting in the way of you protect, taking care of your family. And then right. from then on, everything that goes from that. And that's that original sin of that show. Well, and so here's actually a great example. Let me throw this out for you. If someone were to do a Walter White prequel movie, and it's about Walter White and that friend working together, and in that that movie, you discover that the friend was actually incredibly corrupt and that the money he could have offered Walter White was blood money, and that that kind of explains why Walter White didn't take it and makes him look a lot more justified for not taking it. Would you Mm. feel kind of annoyed at how much that changes the moral tenor of like that, that scene that you'd already seen? I would be very annoyed. That's the Han shot first, man. It's it's the Han yeah. shot first. Exactly. Uh, we yeah. know he's a scoundrel because he shoots the guy first. And like this, we know that he's a scoundrel or we know that he's a prideful asshole because he was a prideful asshole in the beginning. Yeah. And they worked so hard to show his friends in a really good, positive, like caring, charitable light yeah. that 
you know, if you, if they went to, to make a series where those guys were assholes, then like that would go completely against, <clears throat> well, completely against everything that we think that they had established. Maybe, maybe they could make it work in that, like, they were always two-faced and, you know, when a lot of people are around, they seem like they're, uh, they're really yeah. good you people. Could, like, you could make it work, but you take away the emotion of that original story uh, yeah. still. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah. I think that's a problem though with uh like focusing on on these sorts of things like the the problem with canon that we keep having or the the problem with canon that canon that seems to be recurring is when prequels are made. Yes. Because you can't tell a story that has real stakes for the character that we already know that exists before these the thing that we've seen them in already. That's why there, Rogue One is probably the best prequel thus far of any of oh, exactly. probably any of these things. It yeah. tells a it tells a great story. Uh, you even kind of know the ending uh, if you know the Star Wars uh, universe well. But it it all new characters. They start in a different place. You you have this this journey of discovery with them that's brand new to you. Um, that's that's why that's what prequels work, and they, <sighs> that's why when they started the Star Trek prequel. They said it so close to Kirk, and then they were like, it's just so hard. They keep wanting to connect it so hard, Discovery. Um, but th- by the way, Discovery this year is awesome. You should all be watching it. Season three has been great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think it's a great example. I'm like, honestly, I'm now enjoying Discovery a lot more, in part because of the great reviews you guys gave it. I've been really enjoying your Star Trek um, rewatches of it. I think I would oh, like sweet. it a lot more. If there's a character named Michael who maybe it had some connection with some unnamed Vulcans, but had no connection whatsoever to Spock. Because right. now, instead of just enjoying it, every time I see their version of Spock on screen, I'm remembering, okay, but I've just watched all this stuff of original series Spock and him talking about his interactions with humans. He never mentioned a human sister. That doesn't make sense, you know? Right. Well, I don't mind that. But yeah. Yeah. He I, also never, just to, to defend that. He all he also never mentioned a brother, and all of Star Trek Five is about his brother, who who's the villain of Star Trek Five. So, which I mean, um, he may Star just Wars not Star, talk Star about Trek Five. Is such a good movie. That's its only flaw. But I do think yeah, it's that's a, true. It's a terrible movie, but I think it's a so bad flaw of it. Um, yeah. What? Well, so let me ask. Let me ask this then, because I think this is something we've kind of mentioned, but I want to dive deep on. Um, and it's kind of jumping off something you said, Matt, about how your brain is very good at finding the consistency. And that you like things that have that consistency, but I've certainly heard <laughs> my brain both... is my brain is very good at weaving a way for the consistency to work. Right. Well, yeah, that... he's the head cannon guy. Yeah, I lo- well, and that's my whole point because I think a really interesting question to then talk about is when things have when we have to use head cannon to make all the pieces fit, and now something comes along and it doesn't actually break the canon of what we were told. But it breaks the headcanon we established and maybe a headcanon that was kind of implied. Does that bother you in the same way? Or are we able to kind of separate like, okay, that breaks my headcanon and maybe I can create a different way to fit these pieces together. How is that different from like the actual established canon? I've uh, already done all that work. Yeah, I, <laughs> now you well, have to do it again. I personally enjoy that kind of stuff. I don't mind. I don't mind those kinds of breaks at all. Um, 
if it's because it is not canon, it's it's my assumptions. All, all head canon is is it's your assumptions that you use to make something work. Now, if they do something that destroys the only way you could think to make it work, and then you now can't, and that that could be pretty annoying. I, I guess. Yeah. Um, I just I want things to work. You know, that's that's really all it is, man. I just want things to work. Why can't you just let them work? <laughs> we had a situation exactly like that. In fact, in in Runaways, where everything was going just fine sort of like there was uh there was mention in the first episode of like since obama was president i was like uh president ellis in iron man 3 that happened in like 2013 like if things if the runaways is happening nowish like there's there's been enough time for obama to have come and gone and it to be somebody else <laughs> and and then um in one of the episodes uh chase's dad was like you know we've never encountered aliens before and matt was like flip the table what <laughs> he got so mad don't He's you remember like, new york yeah exactly yeah, like and, aliens and in new york 2012 it happened there are ways there are ways to take that sense differently honestly like we we, we we're, we're we're i'm still annoyed at it i'm still pretty darn upset but there are ways to take that sentence slightly differently because they say something to the effect of ex- extraterrestrial life this will change all our science we've ever known or something like that. Um, which technically I think you could still head canon. This is me doing it right now that, uh, <laughs> here's an example, everybody <laughs> that, that he means this is more extraterrestrial life and that it could be, but, but it just, you'd, you'd think you'd mention yeah. like, Oh, extraterrestrials again. There's more, you know, something like that to the effect of, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of silly. Don't you think that though, one of like, one of the, the earth's most like promising inventors would have been brought in to maybe deconstruct some of the alien technology that was left on the ground when they all collapsed all at once? Uh, yeah, but he's kind of evil though. So I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> could help. wouldn't that make him more susceptible to want to do that like ah i could advance my understanding of technology and screw over the world even better Mwahaha. i mean oh yeah yeah star for sure. wars has this issue and, and i'll admit it's it's one where i've come to really love it but so S- star wars rebels is i think actually at this point one of my top three or top five favorite star wars properties it is a fantastically told story the whole thing is a massive cannon break. Um, Jeff, you and I have talked a lot about how in A New Hope, you know, they establish this idea that the Jedi have been gone for so long. Most people have forgotten about the Jedi. Most of the Imperial yeah, officers, ancient religion. Most of the Imperial officers like barely remember the Jedi or even know that it was a thing. And already that the Clone Wars kind of breaks that because they remind you that you were fighting with the Jedi 20 years ago. Okay, fine. Yep. Rebels, for slight spoiler, two of the main characters are major Jedi Force users, and it's all taking place three years before A New Hope. Um, mm. The story is so good that eventually I came to forgive it, but at first I was like, this makes no sense. And and even now, when I watch A New Hope, I do have a little moment of like, okay, this, this doesn't fit. Um, there, I, th- I think I'm able to sort of say the stories are so good that I'm able to look past it, but it is definitely... I feel like it's one it, it's one thing that you have to be very careful about is when here's a funny statement you know the the uh, Obi Wan says only the Sith yeah 
Obi-Wan says only a Sith speaks in absolutes. Um, I think if you're ever going to be trying to create a shared universe, you have to be very careful not to speak in absolutes. Because when Mm. you say, like, this is the first time we've seen aliens, that now has to be, for the whole galaxy or the whole world, who knows about it at least, the first time you've seen aliens. You know, when they say this is the the first victory against the Galactic Empire... Give us four years of story about victories against the Galactic Empire. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, 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 like, if we're going in universe within Marvel, like, the scrolls would be fine because the scrolls are secret invasion. Ha <laughs> uh, Upcoming property. Anyway, uh, the scrolls are a, uh, a shapeshifter race. They infiltrate. So, like, it makes sense that, you know, there have been aliens on Earth and, you know, this guy may have even dealt with some of them before because they were scrolls as humans. But like the events of Avengers were very public, yeah, very broadcast. Like had lasting, like long time lasting, um, uh, blah, 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 blah. long time lasting consequences and and repercussions, repercussions effects on the world. Mm-hmm. And for one of these things to just completely, I don't even want to say completely ignore that, but like to largely ignore that is kind of unforgivable. I mean, on the flip side, I think it's one of the reasons why I fell in love with Daredevil as quickly as I did. Because, you know, think about the kind of effects and re-effects and like five, ten steps down the line um, that you're never going to think about because... Iron Man's never going to think about this. Captain America's never going to think about this. But someone's got to rebuild those buildings. And who's going to get the construction contracts to do that? Like, to me, that was... And it's part of why I agree with you. I'm so sad that the the TV shows never really got tied back into the universe. But I thought that was such a beautiful way of saying, like, yeah, our heroes won this great battle. They also wrecked all the downtown territory. You know, all the the midtown uh, real estate. And, I mean... God, that doesn't sound like a huge problem. You know what I mean? Like, there's repercussions. And I just look, I think this gets back to Matt, what you were saying. It's the ethical question of, to me, even though I love it, there is something unethical, I think, about showing our heroes wreaking this incredible destruction in order to defeat the villain without ever showing us the repercussions, without ever showing us the people who had children who died in Sokovia or the you know, citizens of Wakanda who die or the, the people who lose their homes because of the Superman versus Zod fight, you know? And I think yeah, to me, that's why it becomes so important. So Absolutely. would you say, would you say potentially like, you know, based on, based on our understanding of character story and world canons, um, you know, things happen, characters grow, things happen, the story progresses, things happen, the world changes. Would you say that it's it's safe to say that canon is consequences? Canon is consequences of action or I'd inaction? That, yeah, it's cause and effect. Yeah. I, think, yeah, I think that's what Matt was saying. It's that, yeah, that, that these, these events, you know, if Tony Stark flies into the heart of the alien world and almost dies, he, he can't be fine the next episode. You know, he has yeah. to right. go through the PTSD. Not, he doesn't have to be PTSD, but certainly... Don't you be- justify Iron Man 3 to my face. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> well, the my my point being on this is if, you know, canon is consequences, there are consequences to the victory. You know, like Cap said, yeah. they 
the the reports all say that we won. They never talk about what we lost. Yeah. Mm. And that has such an impact. Like that line has such an impact now with the the thought of what, you know, the consequences of the canon <laughs> are in that the consequences to the world have to also be shown in order to tell like a full story, yeah. I think is what I'm getting at. There's a wonderful series of YouTube videos called After Ever After. And they're acapella songs. And it's a guy who is redoing Disney songs, but he's singing about what happens after the credits roll because Disney movies don't necessarily tell you this, but I think as most people who've been in a relationship know, the fight to get to the first kit, the terrible way to say it, the journey to get to the first kiss is an important journey, but there might still be some steps in the romantic journey of conflict after that. Um, and you mean you don't get just get married? Yeah, you don't actually quite live happily ever after. Um, and huh. these songs are brilliant. You should definitely check them out if you like music. Um, they're incredibly well done, but they're also just hilariously funny and talking about those kind of problems that come up. And I feel like in the same way. I'm a political scientist. Like that's my first education and that's something I love. And I think one of the sort of myths of, of movies and TV that's just as wrong as the idea that once you have love's first kiss, everything's okay. It's once you overthrow the tyrannical government, you're going to rule and everything's going to be fine and perfect and great. And hmm. I love how the Mandalorian is exploring that. Like, no, actually, you know, you know, both in Hamilton, they constantly go back to this theme of like winning the war is easy. Governing is a lot harder. Um, mm -hmm. So I just love that, that we're seeing more of that. Um, so that's all the good stuff about canon. What what are some of the problems you think? We, we've mentioned a couple, but I want to go a little deeper on this. Um, and so for me, a lot of this also came up from a great article I read in Gizmodo. I'll include the link called Our Fascination with Canon is Killing the Way We Value Stories. I didn't agree with all the points, but I definitely think some interesting points were made by the author, James Whitbrook, about what are some of the downsides of being so focused on canon. Um, and we've mentioned them a little bit, but I'm curious, so for you all, what do you see as some of the potential problems with going so deep into canon? Oh, well, I mean, one of the obvious ones is uh, that toxic fandom. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we see that a lot in, in uh, comic book fandom uh, in that... If this if this intro for this character doesn't follow exactly what happened in comics that came out 50 years ago, then, you know, I'm going to riot and, you know, we shouldn't do we shouldn't, you know, support this movie at all. And like, I, I admit, I am one of those people at one point uh, that was like, no, you can't do that to that character. But that was the Mandarin. And that's very important to Iron Man and his his canon and story. So I take issue with the Mandarin, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, it's, it's, <clears throat> excuse me. It's like a, it's like when, you know, a movie comes out and somebody's like, well, that's not how it happened in the comics or that's not how it happened in the book or that's not how it happened in the last iteration of the thing. So I hate it because it's different. Yeah. And then you get into the, you know, because of that, you get into these like great debates online of like, oh, you, you're not a real fan because you don't like the old way and you don't hate the new way. You know, you can't be a real Star Trek fan unless you hate Into Darkness. Um, you know, whatever. You're a filthy casual if you've only watched the, the movies and haven't read the books or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right, right. 
Yeah, you can't be a real fan unless you've read every single Thor comic and can exactly tell me which uh, which issue in the Jason Aaron run of the Mighty Thor she finally takes her helmet off in. Like, you can't be a good fan unless you've done all these things. Like, it's bullshit. It's it's honestly it's bullshit because all of these things like they're telling great stories, right? Either in comics or on screen. That's why you love them so much. Why the hell? Are you trying to keep people out of enjoying something with you? Yeah, I think that gatekeeping aspect can become such an important thing. And and I think what you're getting there especially is that one of the things this article talks about is when the, the focus on canon is, is, isn't even the stuff we're talking about as much, but is that the obsession with the facts, you know, like... You know, does this happen exactly as it did in this previous version of the story? Has it been updated? And the quizzing people about it, um, I think, can definitely oh, be God. super problematic. Yeah. I, I also think, yes, for sure, and all of that. And, and there's there's a fine line because it's the mm-hmm. I care about things because there are consequences, but also uh, I, I, I care – uh, you know, I, I want there to be good stories. And so, and sometimes you have to have other stories told that are not going to be, they're not going to fit into Feige's plan. Yeah. And that, 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 that I think leads to the other real problem with Canon and, and the way it's being used right now, uh, which I love. I love the way it's being used right now, but it's the Walmartification of storytelling. Mm. <laughs> it's like we all, uh, there's only so many dollars you can spend. And if Walmart's still on the cheapest, best, thing you can get right now you're going to spend your dollars there so all the local shops close uh sort of the same things happening in storytelling where you can only go see so many movies you can only go uh you can only buy like right now we're getting ready to watch these marvel shows and star wars shows that are all coming out this in the coming year and year or two and that is going to take up most of my brain space for story uh, consumption you know and you you have to start making choices and you know star trek star wars Marvel. These are things I care deeply about the things I was raised on and want to watch more of. And I'm going to have to make choices to not watch other original ideas that smaller stories tellers are telling. Um, because, and, and, and just because I want to consume the whole universe and there might be a show that is not the most fitting to my story needs. If that makes sense. Uh, I don't want to rail on Runaways. Well, well, I'll rail on one I don't mind running railing on. Iron Fist. That story, season two, I enjoyed. There were some great elements of season two, but for the most part, that story did not add much to my life. Right. But I spent twenty hours watching it, you know, um, and I could have spent that twenty hours really watching something valuable that really meant something to me. Um, you know what I mean? I, I'm just laughing because a million people are also just screaming like you could also not watch something for those 20 hours. But to the three sure. of us, that's no, a ridiculous no. concept. So yeah, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. But I, I mean, don't you understand. Know, you're gonna have uh, your downtime. You're gonna have your shows that you watch. You know, we're not going to one or two a day, whatever. Like if you sit down to watch a show at the end of the night, and like I was doing that only with Iron Fist for like four for like two weeks because I needed to make it through Iron Fist, and that I could have spent that media consumption on something else mm-hmm. uh but yes you're you're right clearly you can also just not watch movies you can I mean, do things i only create. laugh at this because i found a way to do the exact opposite because with superhero ethics i'm not beholden to any particular like one universe so 
Yeah. I watch anything and I'm like, hmm, well, this was a very good show about chess. And I guess playing chess is a kind of superpower. So sure, let's talk about it. Like, <laughs> but, but I think you make Man, a very good you point. Man, like, you got a mate over here. You can bounce around wherever you want to. Yeah, like, yeah. But I think you make a very good point. Like, I think it's fantastic that we are getting some independent stuff like The Boys or Umbrella Academy and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think um, definitely The Boys, and I think I think weren't both of those based on pre-existing comic books? Yeah. Yeah, like I think it's going to become a lot harder. And, and frankly, if there is some new TV show about a sci-fi battle against a tyrannical empire and the people have interesting pseudo-magical, pseudo-scientific powers, 10 years ago I would have been really interested in that. Now, if we get to 2021 and that happens, there's so much Star Wars content— I might be like, well, I I want to see that, but but there's all this other stuff that's in the playground I already like. You know, it's that kind of yeah. Yep. It, I want to make sure I keep. Tr- I think there's a, a definite problem with canon is that you know if my favorite restaurant keeps adding new dishes, it's going to be hard for me to go to another restaurant. And I, honestly, it's part of why I like Panda Vision because I think it helps push us out of that. But I think you're right. It's yeah, a- exactly. That's why we created that show. Uh, so the same thing you were talking about has super ethics. That's why we created Bingers Assemble and. Uh, Pandavision is because I think it, partially because we all three work on this stuff so much. I think we've mentioned almost every stranded panda podcast in this podcast, which is very funny to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and not even in a self-promoting way. We're just like it all keeps coming up. But um, Pandavision and Bender's Assemble were created for that reason because I I love these universes. I love a tight continuity, all of that. But also, I really want to look at some other things, and I want to give myself yeah. a reason yeah. to go watch other things. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to be able to find time in the coming year uh, for the next season of The Witcher. But, you know, if we're doing it for PandaVision, then I absolutely have to, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it gives you, it gives you an excuse. This, I mean, and this podcasting, this is not related to what we're talking about, but podcasting gives us an excuse to do things we want to do. That's part of why we do it. Um, that's why we started doing it as a hobby. It's like two things. It's like we have an excuse to watch these things and talk about them and an excuse to hang out with a friend we enjoy and just like, spend time you know it's it's it's, it's great and I'll admit, i love doing i this. think there's a direct connection between and here we go back to a positive and then we'll continue with the negatives i don't think the fan podcasting world exists if the world of ongoing canon doesn't exist because absolutely if every Agreed. week we're talking about a totally new story and a totally new set of characters it then we're more kind of like being siskel and ebert but like so many of the conversations you all have it's about being able to say like well, isn't this awesome? Like this thing that happened in this episode of Agents <laughs> of S.H.I.E.L.D., it ties back to that movie we saw four years ago, you know, and are these great conversations we have that makes it possible. Yeah. Or or having the conversation of like, oh, my gosh, this Loki show, this character could show up or this character, yeah. da, da, da. like those those specul- speculative things that can happen when you've got this expansive universe and you realize there's some disparate connection that your mind draws these threads and you're like, oh, my gosh. That could happen. And even if it doesn't, the excitement of having that conversation is like why we podcast practically. Um, you know, like it's like we have so much fun with those like it's like at least well, at least for me, it's one of my major reasons, just like that speculative enjoyment of like this character could be here or there or there. Um yeah. and I, and yeah. And, and and still follow the rules. It could still all be within the rules. Yeah. Man, I'm really looking forward to what the what if series is gonna do to your brain. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know what it's going to do. <laughs> I, I find myself in stories like that having a hard time caring because it feels like 
uh, it feels like just a just an offshoot. Like it feels like it's not real. Yeah, there's but, no there's no consequences for that story because it's not canonical with the verse that we've spent six years talking about. Right. At least as not not as heavy a consequences. Yeah. Um, I, I still I still want to care about stories that don't connect to the MCU or whatever. But like sometimes that's it, you only have so much brain space. Like I was saying. And I and it's not just that it's not just what if it's also the idea of the multiverse that they're bringing in so heavily into the MCU. I'm like, uh, are we going to be able to talk about? <laughs> are, are we, we like, sure it's not connected? Yeah. Like, are are we? Is it connected when Spider Man could be whoever he wants to be? Like, Spider Man could be in whichever universe he is. You know, I don't know. I mean, to some um, extent, the, we talked about how you have to have some contrivances to make it all fit. Like, the multiverse idea is just the perfect way. Like, anything is now possible. Like, oh. That's yeah. not, that is canon. It's just over on, you know, Earth-22, you know, or whatever it is. Exactly. And, and the idea of having these worlds. The thing about canon for me, and, and this is what I – this I always talk about this when I talk about Batman v. Superman because they brought in a Batman. And, and, and I've recently watched the um, director's cut, mm-hmm. and it really fixes a lot of this for me. So I, I, I want to rail – I'm not railing on that movie. I'm railing on the theatrically released version yeah. of Batman v. Superman – um, I feel like they did not have Batman. I did not know who Batman was yes, in that 100%. movie. Like Batman is a guy who is branding people so that they get murdered in prison. And he wants to kill Superman because he assumes he's a bad guy. He, he has no hope that this could be a good guy. He has no, he has like, if there's a 1% chance he deserves to die. That's not ethical. There's no, there's very little saving the cat. And, and, I, and I say that there is a little bit. There's the, the beginning of the movie. He drives his car into the battle and helps some people, but he doesn't really do much. Yeah. Uh, and then the theatrical cut, they actually change all of that stuff. I just mentioned about Batman is changed. They add stuff to the beginning of, of him running into the, and into the, uh, into the attack on Metropolis they add things there. They actually add context to the branding. Um, and it turns out it was all part of Lex's plan. Mm-hmm. Like he was Lex was having people that had been killed with the brand murdered so that Batman so that Superman would think worse of Batman. Right. Like it's all part of Lex's plan, which is that, that that all of that context helps me understand who super who Batman is and that he is not intentionally getting people murdered in jail. The, 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 it, it just it, like my point is you can, these 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 universes now that we've had different versions of characters, you can't because of my love for canon. I'm not going to assume the version you're showing me. If you're showing me a different multiverse version of any character, I'm not going to assume all of the other things that I know about them are true. You have to show me those things again. Certain facts about them you don't, but their character you do, you know? I think that's a great example because I think actually you helped me make a good connection, which is I really did not like that version of Batman and Batman vs. Superman. And even when I saw all that happen, I didn't because I didn't believe that Batman could be outsmarted by Lex Luthor in that way. And Mm. when I dug deeper into that, I realized it's because... The Batman that I most know and love is the Batman from um, Batman the Animated Series. World's Greatest Detective, yeah, the, baby. Like, yeah. To me, the world's greatest detective should not ever be outsmarted by Lex Luthor in that way. But the Christopher Nolan, um, Christian Bale Batman, maybe that one could be. And you're right. It's because it's not a – like the MCU is one consistent universe in a way that it doesn't – but like if the – if 
if Tony Stark does something in movie four that he would not have done in movie one and we don't see the growth, it doesn't make sense. But if this Tony, if the Tony, if the Robert Downey Jr. Tony Stark does something that the animated Tony Stark wouldn't have done or the comic book comic Stark wouldn't have done, that that makes more sense. And I think that's actually a really helpful way to understand more about canon is that I think we can easily see it as canon when it's coming from all these different versions of the story and that it's yeah we have to be a little careful about that you know um yeah i think that's one of the problems though that uh that the dceu had with with uh batman versus superman is that they were reliant on yeah <clears throat> they didn't reintroduce they us were reliant to on batman first right they were reliant on global understanding of who batman and superman are as heroes and like uh, that a connection to the character from previous iterations and like, Oh, we don't have to tell you about who this is. You know, it's Batman and you know, all these things about him, but then they go completely against what like my, you know, my version of Batman is that he doesn't kill. He never ever kills because you know, you can always put the bad guy away as long as you can beat him up and, and leave him writhing on the ground. But then he's shooting guns and like running through, uh, running through the the backs of of semi trucks like mm-hmm. obviously killing people and that goes against my canonical batman in that you know it's completely different from the character but they didn't introduce this character as somebody who's okay with killing people or okay with shooting guns like, yeah you you bring up an interesting point and, and and it's it's the canon not really so we've talked about head canon we've talked about canon within a universe but now we're talking about the canon of who a character is, right? Like who that character is to you. Now crossing into the multiverse and throw them into a different story. It's a, it's a new story. What elements of that story from the previous version are allowed to be changed? Right. And that's, that's not head canon. That's our own. That's like a personal canon that we have that. And every fan has a different one. And it's like you with the Mandarin, you don't mind they change other things, but the Mandarin's important to you. For me, that's uh, talking about uh, the 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 Snyder verse again, uh, the DCEU. Uh, for me, Superman. The story of Superman is has always been he's a god who was made to be a god, sort of, and he's sent to this planet where he will have all this power. But then he's raised by a humble farmer, and that humble farmer gives him his morality like instills a sense of right. a sense of like just like good old fashioned morality, you know, if you ever want to like hard work. Why people say the Superman story is messianic. I mean, there it is right there. Yeah. 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 Yo, yeah, for sure. Um, and the, the, in the, in the most recent version, it felt like all they were ever taught him was to hide. Yeah. And then he meets yeah. Jarrell who, Teach it tells him he needs to be a hero, and it flipped the story in such a way to me that I was like, "No, this isn't my Superman." I came to terms with it. And it's not a bad story, but it was against my own personal canon of who Superman is, and it changes it too much. If we meet a Peter Parker in an alternate universe and he is just a total shithead, it will it'll bother me, you know. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and I think this is a. I think this is a really good example of how so much of it has to do with we care about the canon because the writers tell us we should care about the canon. Because, like, I'll give a good counterexample of what I think has been a fantastic example of a character that has been kept alive for decades now, almost half a, I think more than half a century now, 
even though there's nothing canonical at all except for some major story beats. And it's the one Jeff offhand mentioned as the one podcast we haven't talked about much, and it's James Bond. Um, oh, James yes. Bond is a character. Breaking who, Bond, everyone. Breaking Bond. Check Breaking it out. Breaking Bond. Yeah. And James Bond, <laughs> and I actually would love to hear their thoughts on this as well. Like, there's an established canon in terms of, like, there are certain story beats that are always supposed to happen, and there's certain character interactions that are always supposed to happen. But, you know, the canon has been changed 8 million times over the decades. Um, and and also just the tenor of it has changed. And, and there's actually a question I'm going to ask in a, in a different way in a second, but just interesting to say about Bond, like, you know, when we started with the character, people thought this, like, martini drinking, sleeps with all the women, shoots all the bad guys, like, that was sexy and fun, and so that's what we saw. And then we got 30 years of that. And then we started to think, you know what, maybe that's kind of a little ridiculous. And we got more of the Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, kind of, like, wink in the eye, like, we're having fun with this. And then more and more people were like, no, that's that's not a sexy guy. That's a sociopath. And now we have Donald <laughs> uh, uh, Craig, da- da- Daniel. and now we have Daniel Craig playing him as a relatable but very much an anti-hero sociopath. Um, and so yeah, I think that's another great example of where because there the writers never told you that we're going to try and hold a canon. You know, they never asked you to believe that. They just said, let's take this idea of a character and retell the story over and over and over again. I think though they did a, a solid job with uh, the first Daniel Craig one in. Like the opening scene had him uh, dealing with this this guy uh, who was running away from him, you know, the bomb maker, and <clears throat> had him dealing with this guy in a way that was completely different from any other previous Bond. Because, you know, previous Bond would have been like, let's get in the car and, you know, drive all kinds of crazy and, you know, some gadget is going to happen and it's going to, you know, wrap the guy up and you know, then we'll catch him or whatever. But this version of Bond just like straight chased him down the street and like brutally attacked the guy in some kind of crazy hand-to-hand combat that we had never seen in Bond before. And then eventually just like, uh, just what shot the guy and, and took the only the things that he needed. Like it was a very different version of Bond, but like, because they did it in the first 15 minutes, it was like, oh, oh, okay, this is who this guy is. Yeah, it was a very this good way of saying, like, if you're looking for more Sean Connery Bond, go go back home and rent a DVD. Like, that's what this is. Yeah, right. Like. Go somewhere else for that. And so that's actually a question I want to ask you, because I think one of the ways in which I think canon can be a problem, <clears throat> especially with what we're talking before about the toxicity, is when it's not just people being upset about breaking canon, especially as we move from, like, comic book to TV or to movie, but... You know, a lot of those comic books were written a long time ago. And you all talk about this a lot. You've just been recently talking about it with the Fantastic Four and X-Men. You know, most of those comic books were, at least a lot of them, were written at times when all of our heroes were white men. And a lot of the canon changes that unfortunately get some of the most toxic reactions is when they gender switch or race switch or make others some kind of you know, recognize that an aspect of this character that made sense in the 60s or 70s does not make sense today. Um, I'd I love to hear you guys talk about that because I know that's something you, as two people who find canon very important, I know you've both been very supportive of times where they've made the world more diverse and have been suggesting ways of doing even more of that. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of more of your thoughts on that in regard to canon. Well, <clears throat> if we're talking, if we're going specifically into X-Men, um, 
you know, there are, like I've said before, there are certain beats, certain things about a character that are very important to the character story. And that's, you know, that's that character canon. Um, for instance, Magneto. Magneto was, uh, it's very important that Magneto is a person who was oppressed. Right. And, you know, in the the original canon, whatever he was, he was, uh, or rather, in the in the movie, we saw that he was in a concentration camp. You know, he was a he was a Jew that was you know assaulted during the Holocaust. Like that is an oppressed people. But at the, like at this point in in life, you know, as time has gone on, it's very unlikely that he would still be around alive in any kind of capacity that could be. Menacing? Yeah, because that's now 70 um, years ago. You would have to be 80 years old. Which is why the Fox universe, and the Fox universe had to deal with this. So instead of, uh, you know, telling the same story over, uh, you know, in the new new era, they kept everything in the 90s. They kept the story yeah. in the 90s because they couldn't move forward because of that one anchor point. Right. Right. But, like, as a flip side, Tony Stark's original story is based in the Vietnam War. And so they just made that based in the Afghanistan conflict instead. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. You just you shifted a bit to fit a war. You know, that's right. Tony Stark. Boom. But then with you know, with there being like a massively oppressed people, it's a little more difficult. And that's why we've kind of we've we've kind of shifted like Magneto would make sense at this point in in history if it were if he were a black man or really any person of color that has been uh or that was oppressed in the sixties right. or the fifties and sixties. You know, and and grew up in Jim Crow America, like that would make sense, and that could be, you know, his that could be the source of his bitterness toward you know general society. There's also the idea that these two characters were, um, in part, they weren't originally conceived this way necessarily, but throughout their storytelling, they have been um, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Like that's part of the story they're telling is. One is, uh, you know, Professor X is Martin Luther King, and uh, that's his his ethos or whatever. Right. And Magneto is Malcolm X. He's, he's by any means necessary. We will be free, you know. And um, that so taking that sort of directly back to where it came from, some of those stories, and telling it through two uh, two African American men. Uh, who 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 literally would have had the same possibly the same experiences and may have even like been drawing on experiences they grew up watching those actual men uh, that would be fascinating to me and I just think it draws that yeah. does that perfectly. Um, I want to I want to counter your point and say or women we're still open to Whoopi Goldberg being Professor X. That's right. Yeah, that's I right. We that. are. <laughs> well, and I, I think there you're making. Let me try and see if I understand the point you're making because if so, it makes total sense to me. It kind of goes back to this idea that we were saying at the beginning about how canon needs to much more be about the theme rather than the details. And so, you know, Johnny Storm needs to be like this young, brash guy who thinks he can do anything. Um, and if right. he's black, that doesn't change anything. And or right. whatever right. color that's he not is. In, same... That's not integral to his character. That's yeah. not integral to, to him as a person and his, his heart of his story. And, and in the same yeah. way, like Magneto has to be someone who has faced utter oppression and the attempted destruction of his own people so that he now feels like taking pride in who he is and never being ashamed of it and never trusting anyone else to protect your people except your own people. And that makes sense, whether it's, you know, 
Jews in the Holocaust or blacks in the civil rights movement or American, you know, Native Americans in, you know, uh, the 70s or, you know, even with like the Dakota oil stuff or whatever it is. If we're getting if we're keeping the heart of the character and the, the, the heart of the theme of the story, then changing the, the details either to make it more historically relevant or to make it just to make a more diverse universe and to bring women in and bring characters of color in or queer characters, whatever it is. That's not a that's not a canon break you care about as much because it's still getting to the the heart and truth of the story. Is that that kind of a fair statement? That's that's yeah. exactly how I feel about it. Uh, and that, and that now we're again talking about personal canon. Uh, and the problem is it's personal, so everyone has a different view of what that is. Right. So everyone has a different view. And for some people, now I, they would not call themselves racist. Most of them, um, but. For them, it's important that Professor X is a white man. A bald white man who is crippled. Yeah, the problem is, at the time they were making these stories, that's all they could do? Or, like, that's all they would do because of racism. So, by not broadening it, you're persist. It's the same thing with all racial justice. Like, uh, by not equaling things out in some ways, we are continuing the oppression of the past. Uh, and 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 since we're we're relying on canons that were created in the fifties and sixties, we are perpetual by not changing the races of the different characters for the modern era. We are continuing the uh, you know monoculture that was created then. Well, and that was just the one uh, corollary to that I was going to add, which is so I think we do have so many white heroes, and so changing Professor X or changing Johnny Storm doesn't feel like a big break to me. We don't actually have that many Jewish superheroes. And so I could see, like, as much as I love some of those ideas, I do wonder if there would be some, um, you know, coming out of a Jewish perspective who would be more upset. Like, I mean, I'm, my family is half Jewish. And I even I like I love I love the idea of a civil rights, Martin and Mag. And um, yeah, I love the idea of the civil rights versions of Professor X and Magneto. and I'd be all for it. But I definitely know I can easily imagine someone being like, look, Magneto is one of our only explicitly Jewish superheroes. Don't take that away. Um, <laughs> now nah, you got Mark Spector coming yeah, up. You know, I mean, there's always others, but it, I'm just saying, I think that that's, I don't think there's easy answers to that question, but I think it's, it's a very good, certainly to me, canon is problematic if we feel like we have to be locked in. You know, if uh, Luke, Luke Cage has to wear the black exploitation outfit from the outfit from the 70s or things like that. I would I would push back a little bit uh, because he calling Magneto a hero is problematic, but like okay. uh, <laughs> so maybe, maybe it's like maybe like like if you were like you know uh, I'm trying to think of a horrible villain, but the problem is a lot of them like uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I mean, he's I, a I very a, relatable character, and who is he is a relatable character, more villainous and sometimes more of like an anti, sometimes morally gray. But the thing is. Um, it is one of the few characters, you know, Holocaust education in 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 media is pretty important. Yep. Um, and representation of those events is important. And having the fact that Magneto, uh, if, if you were to change Magneto, it is problematic because you're re- removing one of the few really cultural pop pop culture touchstones yeah. uh, of that. And, and, and like, I get it, but it also... To maintain the character and not have him be 120, it's it's <laughs> tricky to do that. You know, like you can't have him 
Magneto would be very, very old if if we were to maintain that and keep him crossing over with current Marvel heroes. So right. it's it's when a tricky thing to do. Was created. Sorry, when that character was created in comics, like that, those world events had happened twenty years ago. Like it's not that long ago in in yeah. public consciousness. Yeah, I mean, I I recently was um, I've been rewatching the original series because uh, one of my partners has never seen it before, and and she's she's she was commenting on there's so many Nazis in the original series of Star Trek because at, at that <laughs> time, like yeah, mostly people watching Star Trek, either they or their parents had lived through World War II. And had that discernible memory. And so that was still a very common thing to be brought up. Today, it's almost never seen in the same way. I think one other interesting example that I'm curious your thoughts on. Here's a character that I both wish they hadn't done part of this, but also I'm very glad they did. Um, the Ancient One in Doctor Strange. Um, my understanding is that character is very explicitly Tibetan. And that, I mean, this is inside baseball and who knows the exact details, but I've certainly heard many, many uh, versions of the story that say, they in part couldn't make that character Tibetan because to do so would have made it such that the film couldn't be showed in mainland China. And that's a huge source of revenue for Marvel and Disney. Um, mm. But yeah, well, but, but the f- it also kind of, it also could kind of further the stereotype though of, you know, all Tibetan people are ancient mysticism type right. people. Yeah. And, and I was going to say that, that I think <laughs> is definitely a thing. And also they made the character a woman, which is itself another great change. Um, and, and so, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting way of handling that of, we can't go in this one particular direction, but we're going to try and go in a very different one. And this is not what our discussion is about today, but like, yeah, representation is hard to work out because every change you make is changing someone else's story that they love, you know, and every, every way that you, uh, every way that you change a character, uh, and like, like clearly I agree that, um. I agree that a lot of these changes are great and fine and wonderful, but it's just like you were talking about with Magneto. We ha- I had not considered that uh, the, the changing of a Jewish character uh, removes that. Um, I still would go for it in this case, but like I I, I understand completely why that's problematic. Right. Um, it's tough, man. It's a tough. Uh, Need more Jewish heroes is what I'm hearing. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing is you just have to. Make sure you're telling a mix of stories, which is why I bring up that Walmartification idea, like of storytelling. You, you, you gotta gotta keep new stories coming in, new blood coming in, and that's the one good thing Marvel and Marvel and Disney are doing. They are bringing in creators of varying backgrounds and histories, and you know faiths and everything, which is great. But you still have this Disney overlord monoculture that like is kind of suppressive, you know? Yeah. No, I, I think it's very true. And I think that there's, there's still all these ideas of like what the, what the, um, what the general public will watch, what the public in different uh, areas will watch, you know, in terms of like gender and things like that. And I think we're breaking a lot of that down, but it's still there. I also think in a way yeah, that that sure. can be also a positive of this greatly expanded canon, which is that, you know, if you only have three heroes and all of them are white, that's a huge problem. But if you have 30 heroes, then now it's much easier to have like all sorts of different perspectives represented among that 30 um, without a feeling like that this one character has to be, you know, check, check all the boxes or whatever the kind of, you know, dumb ideas about what representation should look like falls into. Uh, my, my point being like it, the boxes should be checked, but that it shouldn't just be let's check the boxes so that people don't bother us. It should be 
real representation of the kind you're talking about where like they bring in writers, they bring in directors and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Which they're, they're very much doing for Miss Marvel, which um, kind of like makes me proud, like go Disney, Yeah, you know, good job bringing in like all of these, uh, all these people who fit the, the culture that you're trying to, to tell the story of. Like if you brought in a bunch of white people to try to tell Pakistani American culture, like you're failing. Yeah. And I think that's becoming a lot more common, you know, like frozen Two. They had quite a lot of um, the indigenous people of Scandinavia were very involved in telling that story. Um, there was some some other story recently that involved uh, Native uh, Native American folks where they had gotten a lot of folks involved uh, that now I can't remember the details of. Oh, um, very outside of our genres and not uh, Native United States. Um, and with an E. Uh, that TV show, they worked a lot with folks from the Native populations to show that part of the story. And that that's a great example of we're we're very much outside our normal genre, but do you all know anything about Anne of Green Gables and then the most recent TV show, Anne with an E? No, So I don't. it's a wonderful set of novels it's... that was beloved by people, especially young women, but, but all people for generations. I think they were written in like 1910 or something like that. And they're about a young, plucky Canadian girl finding her way as an orphan in um, Prince Edward Island in the turn of the century Canada. And... You know, the story is told in great ways, but is written in that that time and place and has a lot of the biases and prejudices of that time and place. This new show, Anne with an E, that came out a few years ago, very, very good. And it has black characters and it has Native American characters and it changes the way the original characters relate to those in ways that are like, okay, this doesn't fit the original book and maybe doesn't even fit the actual historical understanding of the time, but it's just so much better. Um, Mm. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting uh, to, to say all that. I, 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 I want representation. I want representation at all levels. But I also, I long for a world where we have enough representation that it's not problematic mm-hmm. for anyone to tell any kind of story. Uh, still with proper reverence and proper like, uh, it, it, it's it, for instance, um, Recently, we had Watchmen, and and he knew it. Damon Lindelof told that story. He's a white man telling this very black story, and he got a lot of black writers to work with him, but he was the one with the... In this situation, it was a power dynamic thing, but I think his writing sensibilities were perfect for that show and did a wonderful job telling that story, again, with proper representation in the room, but the, still the guy leading the show was a white guy telling this very black story. Um, and I think that, like... I don't I don't think that we have to I'd love to see a world where representation is so ubiquitous that it is that it stops being so problematic for uh, for for people of various to to no matter what you are, you can tell a different kind of story in all kinds of ways, whether you whether it goes one way or the other problem is we don't we don't live in that world. Um, And so I fully am I want I want us all to strive for more representation, but I also I want, I, just want, I want good stories from good, good creators yeah. to be able to be told, no matter who they are. Well, and I think one thing, cause I remember being very surprised, honestly, when I heard that the writer of uh, Watchmen was white, because I'd read so much, particularly from black journalists and reviewers, being very, you know, in praise of that show. And, and digging deeper, as you said, he's the one person writing it, but I think he was very conscious of saying, like, I don't know that I truly understand the meaning of Tulsa. So I'm going to 
consult with a lot of, you know, hit black historians and, 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 and other leaders and, and other writers to get, make sure I'm writing that perspective honestly. And I think that's one of, in, um, uh, a lot of the fiction world now, especially in like YA and fantasy and sci-fi fiction, there's now becoming this culture of having like, you know, people who read a draft who are not from your cultural background, just to kind of like point out the things that maybe you missed or the things that like maybe you weren't thinking about. And I think that, you know, we're moving more and more to that kind of world where it's, you're right, anyone in a great world, anyone should be able to write the story that they they feel like <laughs> they can write. You need to have consulting representation. Yeah, or just, just an idea of like... <laughs> if, at least, at a minimum. Well, just the idea of when you're trying to write someone else's story, that, you've really, that you're making sure that you're not writing your version of their story, but you're trying to understand their version of their story. I think that's a great way to put it. I really do. Yeah. Um, and it's funny that, um, <clears throat> that you, you say it that way in that, you know, we have unconscious biases, we have unconscious... Uh, things that we do that are potentially oppressive. Uh, we recently got comments in the, the Strain of Panda Facebook chat where uh, I apparently had made a bunch of robot jokes about Vision when we were talking about the WandaVision trailer. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I didn't even realize I was doing it. I don't even remember that I did it. Am I robophobic? <laughs> <laughs> we need to get Jacob Alicic, the most recent uh, regular co-host of this show, back on because... His his Twitter pro his Twitter name is bots are people too, and he has a very strong like you know uh, pro droid life attitude. But yeah, he's just yeah. he's just sucking up to our future overlords. <laughs> yeah, you know, I for one welcome our new robot overlords. Hey, listen, my stepfather came on this show just to defend the uh, robots in the Matrix. You know, so I I'm trying to keep on that right <laughs> side. So I want us to start wrapping up, and let me just kind of throw this out. We've, we've mentioned them as examples, but just kind of go deeper. What are some examples for each of you about either really good examples or you think times where it really didn't work in terms of how canon was treated? I've said Iron Man 3. Um, <laughs> well, that, that's yeah, a that's break, your, that's I think a break was between for your personal canon, the yeah. comic universe and the show. I want to mean something where internal to its own universe, where it felt like there was a canon break. Where, where, uh, well, for mm, canon break. Okay, sorry. I, I, I was thinking of, I was thinking of, uh, sort of a lack of consistency in the rules. Yeah, I mean, but like that's that, not really that what you're talking. Uh, well, I was thinking of Punisher, but which is not really the same thing. A lack of sort of ethical consistency. Punisher season two, where he he fires. I guess it's a break in canon. It's not really. It's it's a. It should be. Uh, he fires into a blank wall. He thinks he's killed two women so he goes through an episode where he is horribly sad that he has broken his own rules and killed two innocents and then the next episode he realizes he didn't actually kill those two women it was his enemy tricking him into thinking he'd killed those two women and so the next episode he fires through an empty a wall to get his other enemy. And I was just like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why is his character not remembering that don't fire into walls blindly? Like, that is so dumb. Yeah, I think that counts. Well, clearly, I can't hit innocent people. He didn't learn his lesson. Yeah. He didn't feel any of the didn't repercussions of this event that could well have been horribly traumatic. So it's not exactly a cannon break, but it, 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 it's not respecting what has gone on before, uh, not having him learn... I think that character is smart enough to have learned a lesson there, and he did not. 
Mm. Yeah, it 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 wouldn't have been a problem if he had not been so broken down over it. Like if right. he had if he had just been from the beginning like, nope, that wasn't me. That couldn't have been me. Uh, I don't know how to prove it, but I I don't do those sorts of things. Because if you've been a totally because, different kind of sociopath. Yeah, yeah right? Like if it if it had been if it had been anything other than, oh God, I did this bad thing, then it kind of would have been okay. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's like the growth was just went away because he no longer had a reason to to worry anymore. And I feel like Jeff, you you actually put your finger on something I we hadn't even talked about, but I think is a great kind of summation of a lot of this. For me, what Kennan does is not just that it shows the repercussions, but it shows that the writer understands the repercussions of what already happened. Because I think that's yeah. what really bothers me. I felt like in that case, the writer didn't understand that the repercussions should be about you just don't fire into the room to begin with, you know? Um, and that's why I want to see, like, yeah, flying a nuclear bomb into an alien, like, invasion. Like, there are going to be repercussions about that. And it's... Part of where canon breaks really bother me is when it, it feels like the writers don't understand the repercussions that would happen. Yep. One of my uh, one of my examples of great canon that I absolutely love is that in Spider Man Homecoming, in the very beginning, we got we got this example of uh, you know the cleanup crew before damage control came in and took over, and. You know, for years since 2012, when Avengers happened, I had never thought about the fact that like somebody has to clean up all this crap. You know, somebody has to clean up after Tony Stark, and the fact that he kind of created his own department, the, the Department of Damage Control, like to to try to help the relief effort after the fact. It just makes so much sense that like, of course, that's what he would do if he's this. You know, this this character who has turned to trying to do these good, uh, these philanthropic and, and, you know, charitable acts and be a good person now. Like, of course that's what he would do. But then there again, he still craps on small people who were already doing that job because he just assumes that somebody's not already doing that job. Yeah. I think it's a good example. And then we get to, we get to see that how that over time has kind of, uh, cause these people to go a little uh, a little off the rails maybe a little dark mm -hmm. yeah no, i think that all was very fair i i think for me both my best and my worst example of of canon comes both from star wars and uh -oh. in terms of the worst it's it's frankly it's what uh jeff and i talked about extensively on the star wars universe cast in terms of our reviews of the prequel movies and it's that the, the original three Star Wars movies really set up this world in which the Jedi had mostly died out. And the, sort of they told us this sort of like ways in which all these subtle things happened. And it just felt to me like the prequels with midichlorians and with the way that Anakin was treated, but especially just the idea that all this was happening 20 years ago. It just it, it was not in any way true to that part of the story. And. To me, that felt like it wasn't just like a historical date getting wrong. It just didn't – it made the later movies not make sense in a lot of ways. And I've confirmed this actually now by – I have a number of friends who saw the prequels first and then later were asking me when they saw the, the next set of movies. They're like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. It's like, well, yeah, because they did it wrong. Um, and I think the best example of keeping canon that I've seen recently is – and the MCU, I'll say, has done so many good ones. 
But in a recent episode of Mandalorian, spoilers, skip ahead a little bit if you haven't seen the most recent episodes of Mandalorian, though, if you have missed this spoiler, Wait. I'm greatly impressed uh, by you. The but very, the, the character we, of Ahsoka Tano. We're on an episode. What were you saying? We got one more. Oh, sorry. I was just making sure which episode. This most recent one. Oh, no. This is from like two episodes ago. Okay. Then we're good. Yeah. <laughs> just saying if I need to take my headphones off. No, 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 you're good. But the character of Ahsoka Tano returns. And in that character, um, you know, we see so much of her character. We learn so much about her. One thing that had been well established in the canon from, you know, many years ago um, 30 years ago in terms of our story, maybe five or 10 years ago in terms of when it was made, Clone Wars and then Rebels, is that she has this very deep reason for distrusting the Jedi and for having concerns and fears about what can happen when a good person turns bad. And I thought that what they did with her character was so perfect because, and it actually addresses a problem with canon that we didn't get to discuss, but I'll mention briefly here. They did it in a way that the people who loved that original canon caught the Easter eggs that they dropped. And it was like, this character feels 100% in the same arc of the character we met before. She made an offhand reference to something that was clearly about Anakin. She talked about the Jedi. Like, it all felt real. And it felt to me like such a good way of honoring the character who I loved from this other show many years ago. But at the same time, they did it in a way that the people who had never seen any of those things still fell in love with the character, too, and still got her. And I think that was the, the one last th- problem with canon that I forgot to mention but I wanted to bring up is I think the problem of gatekeeping by fans can be really bad. I also think, really, I think there's a real problem when you have sort of gatekeeping by the writers, where it's this story is only going to make sense to you if you've seen all those past things. And some extent, that's fine. Like, Infinity War, yeah, you've seen some other Avenger movies. That makes sense. But I've definitely seen movies where it feels like if you haven't watched, like, all 30 episodes or read five books, this doesn't make any sense to you. And I thought that was a huge danger with Sokotano, and I really thought they nailed it of paying off the canon for those who knew it, but not in a way that alienated the people who didn't. I yeah, agree. I, I agree completely with that. Um, although it's a weird balance because... It's a weird balance because people who did not watch the other 22 movies uh, did not get in game the same way that we get in game. And it's like we love we would love them to go even deeper sometimes, you know, and that's what I'm hoping these uh, these television shows do uh, that they're they're planning. But like it's like this weird thing where. I watched a Star Trek episode two weeks ago, the most one of the, from two weeks ago, the most recent episode of Discovery, um, and it was so steeped in prior lore that if that I was watching it with Alyssa and she was not getting it, she was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> I kept having to pause it to explain things, and but I was like beaming because of all of the deep continuity they were they were sprinkling in. Mm-hmm. And I kept having to be like, oh, this is because of in in, in the original series that happened. And then I hit play. And I'm like, okay, this is because in the next generation that happened. And then I right. hit pause. Oh, this is because two seasons ago on Discovery, she did this. And it, <laughs> just like all this stuff that tied together so well and so interestingly. They even tied it to Picard, which was like mind-blowing because oh, they're even they, – they, they, this one episode referenced like every Star Trek series practically. And I was just like – I was I was loving it because I'm a – 
They were paying homage to guys like me who have been watching this stuff forever, but it loses someone else. Yeah. And so there's always going to be this sort of attenuator where you have to be able to like decide how much you want to rely on previous canon. How much does your story not only like respect original canon, that's one level, but relying on it does make a guy like me like beam. I was, I, I was, I was crying during that episode because of the deep continuity, which is like a weird experience uh, because it was just so well done and well crafted. And it was like a in, in cool story and character ways. They were crafting these stories together. But to someone who's never seen all those other stories, it didn't mean near as much. And it's a weird it's a weird balance to strike for sure. Yeah. Somebody whose first movie is Avengers Endgame, you know, in the. Marvel continuity like they're doing it wrong first off yeah. but <laughs> if you know if that's their first movie and I'm sitting there just weeping throughout the entirety of the film they're going to be looking at me like what is wrong with you right. I don't understand yeah I, I think that's so well put and I mean one thing I'll say is like I hope even stuff like Discovery is accessible for everyone but I, I feel like I have a very different bar of how accessible a particular episode of a TV show should be versus like the big tent pole, this should make the most money of any movie for the whole year kind of movie. Um, right. But, but actually, so, and maybe this is kind of a good closing question to end on. Um, the whole time the Netflix uh, Defenders TV shows were on, I kept being frustrated that we never saw those characters on film. You know, that we had legal wranglings about heroes, but Charlie Cox never appeared to defend anyone. That, um, you know, Jessica Jones or Luke Cage never got involved in any of these fights or anything. The more I think about it, the more I think, especially especially after seeing the Ahsoka stuff, I'm now starting to wonder, and maybe it was a throwaway line or two, it wouldn't matter, but I, it makes me wonder if maybe it's better that those characters didn't appear in the movies because there'd be no way to do it in a way that still made sense to the people who had just seen the movies and not seen the TV shows. Um, I know that's a topic you all talked about a lot back then. So I'm kind of curious for your sense, like in terms of that kind of attenuation that you're just talking about, Matt, where would putting those Netflix TV characters into the Marvel movies fall for you? Oh, it just depends on how you do it. Yeah. Um, I, I think you could absolutely do it. You would just have to, um, you, you have to be mindful of both audiences, which is very, very hard to do, but people do it all the time. Um, they do it all the time just to introduce the character. They introduced Black Panther in Civil War. You didn't have to know anything about him, but they introduced him. He fights. He shows up, and you realize he is Black Panther. Um, and you could have the same thing. You could just have a lawyer show up to defend Peter Parker, and they still might do this in Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Uh, you could have a lawyer shows up to defend Peter Parker. He's helping out. He's just a blind lawyer. Doesn't matter. He's just a nice character that you get to know. And you don't ever have to show him as Daredevil and all the Daredevil fans would love it. Yeah. And he, they could have some lines that like connect with vigilanteism and they could like really mean a lot to those who of us who've watched it before. But like, no, you know, like the, 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 the regular audience could just be like, oh, whatever. I, I, I don't yeah. I don't know what this means. We have a shining example of this kind of thing in Endgame in that. Edwin Jarvis from the Agent Carter series yes. showed up. Like that actor showed up in Endgame as Jarvis. Mm. And anybody who hadn't seen Agent Carter doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Like it's, he says, thank you, Jarvis, or whatever he says to Jarvis. He, spe he specifically yeah. mentions him by name. And 
like people who had only seen the movies are like, oh, that must be who Tony based the Jarvis AI on. And like, that's fine. That's enough for them. But then for us, these like crazy rabid fans, we saw that guy on screen. We knew him from Agent Carter. And we were like, oh my God, it's all canon. Yes. I'm going to say something that I have probably never said before. And, and I, I'll maybe have a few other things like this in the, in the future, but probably not many. I'm going to say something in praise of The Rise of Skywalker, the last of the Star Wars movies. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> which is that there's the scene where Rey is kind of like feeling like all of the, the Jedi for all time coming into her and like giving her strength. And Gross. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> this, is not, this is not Panda After Dark. This is the mature superhero ethics. Um, we're not mature at all. Yep. Um, That's not what we do do here. And I think for most fans, what they heard was a number of different voices all saying, like, you know, you can do this, most of whom were probably not very this recognizable, but it didn't matter. It was all voices of Jedi. If you were a really deep fan of the Clone Wars and Rebels, you heard a number of those voices, including the voice of the woman who played the animated Ahsoka Tano. And to me, it's that same thing. Like, it's still a good scene either way. It doesn't fit the rest of the story in any way, shape, or form, but that's a whole other thing. But it's a powerful scene, but but I think so much more powerful for those. And yeah, I think that's another great example of how you can bring in canon in a way that doesn't alienate people. And that's what you really have to be careful of and not go like the, the discovery route that you're talking about, where I don't think it's a problem because it's like one episode of a TV show. But I think if you have a, a tentpole movie like that where people just don't understand it, then then you have more of a problem. Well, you have more of a problem. I don't know that you have more of a problem from a storytelling perspective, but you have more of a problem from a money perspective. Like if they do that, they're just not going to make uh, the money right. that they need to make to make that happen. You don't make your money on how good the story is, unfortunately, or how deep the story is. You so so it's it's in their best interest to you know like work well with that, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry, I'm kind of meandering. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we've been going for a while, so we can start wrapping up. Uh, oh, we've yep. gone for wow. This is gonna be a hell to edit, but great conversation yeah, nonetheless. Um, any other kind of last closing comments? Either you want to make something we didn't get a uh, question you wanted to raise, or something we didn't get to discuss in terms of the good and bad of continuity. I don't think so. I think I'm good. I think we have exhausted. And honestly, this was a really great conversation. Like we came up with not only examples but we really kind of shaped three different brands of continuity and what they mean and they're really uh or canon i should say um and that really is uh that was interesting thanks thanks for this yeah it was a fun thought experiment i had not uh delved into it in this kind of uh this kind of an analytical fashion before well cool yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that because that's exactly the kind of um, I love the fact that you and a lot of the other podcasts, including what I do with Star Wars, really get to deep dive on some of these things. And I think what I try to do on this podcast, what we try to do on this podcast, is do a little bit more of the wide angle lens and say kind of like, okay, this thing from Star Wars, how does that connect through this thing from Marvel and, and DC or, or James Bond or whatever it is? So um, thank you both so much for coming on this. When I had this idea, you two were the exact ones I wanted, and this was a great conversation. Um, so... As we wrap up, um, as I mentioned, you two have maybe been doing one or two things on the rest of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Um, what's What are you all up to at MCU Cast? Oh, man. So much. We're <laughs> up to so much. Uh, they just did these big announcements for the Marvel 
uh, cinematic universe that we are uh, going to be covering. And it's it's looking like we're going to get almost a an episode or a movie every week next year. And it's looking like all really high quality stuff with these Disney Plus shows featuring the actual actors from the shows. And yeah, we're just very, very excited over there. So we've been doing mostly trailer breakdowns, um, which are I'm really excited. The Stranded Panda YouTube channel, we've been dropping these um, trailer breakdowns where we're going frame by frame through the trailer and actually zooming in when we need to, to see certain things and like enhancing it and uh, enhance, enhance. Um, Specifically focusing on breasts for Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, just zooming in on, but it, it was funny. There was actually a lot of stuff to talk about with the different brooches and necklaces people were wearing oh God, in the WandaVision the trailer. <laughs> and so I kept zooming in on necklaces, but it looked like I was zooming in on everyone's breasts. And so we had a good, had a good time, uh, talking about breasts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> had a good chuckle. Uh, but, uh, no, uh, it, it was, it was, it was a really, really, really fun conversation. And just to live kind of like really try to explore the trailer in like a whole whole way where we're looking at every frame at a time it was fun really fun yeah we made some astounding discoveries in focusing on jewelry yeah we did we did like one particular did was really is, cool honestly we talked about the problems with canon and i do think there's some real problems but i feel like what you did with those episodes is the absolute best of what fandom especially fandom connected to canon can be because when I watched those, uh, the news about the new stuff, I was going absolutely bonkers. And my partners like the stuff, but the partner I live with, you know, she's interested in it, but she doesn't share that joy with me. And just getting to listen to you go so deep on it and to be just so excited about all this new stuff, I felt like I wasn't alone with it. And to me, that's the whole point of Stranded Panda. Um, I'll say on the Star Wars Universe cast, we did the same thing. We put up a podcast, an episode all about the new Star Wars content coming out that I hope people get the same feeling about, about being super excited about. Um, And I just think it's such an amazing time to be a fan. I'm just so glad we're doing all this stuff on Stranded Panda. Um, I'll give a couple quick shout outs as well. All of us have done various things on the Pandavision podcast, um, which is all about shows that don't have their own universe, but are still great. Um, Ashley Coffin and I are literally, as soon as I finish this episode, I'm going to go watch the first episode of The Stand, the new TV show that's come out. And then on Sunday, Ooh. Ashley and I are going to record on that. Hopefully, I'll have it up Monday or Tuesday. So we're going to have some really great times talking about that show. Hopefully, it's going to be good. We already talked about the 1994 miniseries, how it was really bad, but a lot of fun to watch. Um, so yeah, all over street. And there's the Breaking Bond podcast we've talked about. Matt and Dave doing great things in the Star Trek Universe podcast. We heard recently that they have started reshooting the Orville. So Matt and I will get to do our stuff about that. Um, so much yeah. content coming. Definitely check out everything going on at strandedpanda.com. If you want to ask more questions specifically about this, we're on Facebook and Twitter, Superhero Ethics. The best way, though, is just to go to the Stranded Panda Facebook group. We have great discussions there. Or just find us on the website, strandedpanda.com. You can learn about all the different things there. But if you click on Superhero Ethics, you'll find our email, our Facebook, all the ways to contact us. So Matt and Jeff, thank you so much. Thank you to our fans for listening. Have a great day. Until next time, true believers. 